thankful to be a part of this body, um, to, to be a part of your leadership. And I just want to say, this, this is a humbling experience, uh, not only to preach the word to this congregation, but to stand in this pulpit. Um, I think both of us can agree that Chris Fowler is a really good pastor and a really good preacher, and so that makes me really nervous. <laughs> okay? and, and so I want to pray, and, and as I pray, I don't want you just to listen to my words. I, I want you to pray with me and for me that I would get out of the way of this text, um, because the text that we're going to read, I, I think, really has some extreme practicality for our lives and, and practicality that, that would invoke worship. So pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the goodness of the gospel, the goodness of Christmas. Father, I pray that we would by no means gloss over this Christmas season like I've been guilty of so many Christmases in the past, but Lord, would we slow down and wonder at what you have done to come and become man and to take on flesh on our behalf. God, I pray that you would speak through your word. God, I know that uh, I am full of sin, and Lord, any sinful words that come out of my mouth, Lord, I pray that they would fall on deaf ears. God, and that our people would hear the truth. God, and that they would find peace with you through it. pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so if you're anything like me, um, the quarantine's been really tough, right? And it's been tough on a couple couple different fronts, I'm sure, for you. One of the biggest fronts, I, I think, for me is at the beginning of this thing, they said, you know, we're going to take the two weeks off, and I'm constantly just, like, refreshing my news feed. Like, man, how many, how many COVID cases are there now? How many COVID cases are there now? And as, as time went on, we're all over social media, and, and we're enjoying the, the meme game that came out of the coronavirus. It's probably the best thing that's happened. It's just memes have gotten way wittier and way funnier. And, and we attached ourselves to, to media, to social media. And eventually, I think, at least in my life, I just got kind of overwhelmed with all the, the news intake that I was hearing. I was hearing new record numbers day after day after day, and I just... I kind of became dull to it, to where I kind of got off social media for a little while. I kind of quit refreshing the news feed as much. And and even as I hear record numbers kind of breaking again, it just kind of goes, eh, okay, I get it. But because of the amount of intake, I think I've just kind of become dull to it. And I think that's exactly how we treat the Christmas season. Like, we've heard the Christmas story over and over and over again. We've heard it since we were little children. And I even think hearing those theologically rich Christmas songs almost puts a glaze over our eyes because it takes us to a tree or it takes us to gifts or it takes us to family and we've just become dull to the Christmas season when in reality it should take us to the manger and it should take us to God becoming flesh on our behalf. So what I want us to do is, is as we're ready, commit with me. Don't listen to this story as a 21st century American, try to listen to this story fresh like a first century Jew. Try to hear this story in the context of the Old Testament that God came with commands. He came through his prophets. And then there's 400 years of silence. And then one starry night, he came in glory to his people. So read along with me. Uh, the, the text is going to be Luke 2. The title that I've given the sermon is The Good News of Christmas. The Savior is born. Luke 2, starting in verse 1. 
In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, real person, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, real place, Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel... A multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The birth of Christ is good news for all people. The birth of Christ is good news for all people. Point number one, offering peace to all, including the marginalized. The birth of Christ is good news for all people, offering peace to all including the marginalized. So one of my best friends in the world, um, I'm not going to give you his name, one of my best friends in the world, guy was in my wedding, uh, we keep up from time to time, we went to high school together. We didn't really hang out a whole lot in high school, we kind of ate lunch together, we goofed off together, but he was a little bit more into the party scene than I was, and after high school we kind of lost touch. Until one night, my my sophomore year of college, I get a call, and he says, hey Micah, I'm going to rehab tomorrow, I'm going to bring my Bible, what should I read? Okay, right? I said, John, just start in John, see what happens. And I don't hear from him for 30, 40 days. I get another call. Hey, Micah, I'm out of rehab. I think I became a Christian. Can I come live with you? <laughs> There's like eight of us living in the house at the time, so we, we made space for him on the couch. And, and being around this guy, watching this transformation in his life was an incredible gift that God has given me. First of all, both his parents are highfalutin, very important doctors in Augusta. His brother, doctor, married, cute family. And then you have him. You have my friend. The black sheep of the family, the drug addict of the family, who is absolutely transformed by the gospel of Christ. And there is so much freedom in his life. Like We would be in a Bible study, and he would just confess some sin that it's like, dang. I can't believe he just said that. That is amazing. But I struggle with it too, but I'm not telling anybody that sin, right? And there is so much freedom in his life because he knew who he was. He knew that he was screwed up. He knew that he needed grace. And he lived with the freedom 
of absolute forgiveness in the face of the Father. I think that's the picture that we get as we dive in and look at the shepherds. So let's look at it in the text. Picking up in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So shepherds, right? Shepherds are low in society. In Egypt, they were an abomination. So when the people of Israel came to Egypt, they had to be put in a secluded town, and they had to be kind of put out in isolation from other people. They they were lowly. Their work prevented them from honoring the Sabbath. Um, And in fact, by the Pharisee standards, the shepherds were ceremonially unclean. And, And so they do not go into worship. They do not have the corporate gathering. And in fact, many people consider them to be thieves because they would have land disputes and they would have disputes over which sheep or whose, to the point that a shepherd's testimony didn't even hold up in court of law. An eyewitness testimony of a shepherd would not hold up in the court of law. That, that's who we start the scene with. Pick up in verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So so I think it's interesting here is they have this encounter that even Mary and Joseph, very pivotal people and characters in this story of Jesus, they have an experience that they don't have. Yes, an angel of the Lord came to Mary and Joseph, but what's the other thing that happened? The glory of the Lord shone around them. So what is that? What's that glory? If you look at Exodus 19, there's this picture of the people of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai. And Moses is about to go up and receive the Ten Commandments. Listen to what, uh, how he describes the glory of the Lord. Exodus 19, starting in 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunder and lightning and thick clouds on the mountain. And a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. That's the glory of the Lord, right? The, the glory of the Lord is earth trembling, thunder and lightning, trumpet blasting, fire on a mountain glory. And, and the shepherds experienced that, and they were greatly afraid, as they should be, as you should be, as I should be. So here's the principle that I think we get from that. Why should they be afraid? In Exodus 19, actually in, in Deuteronomy 5, Moses kind of recounts this story, and he's, he's writing Deuteronomy to the people of Israel, and he says, when we were at the mountain, you made me go up by myself, and you said, we're not even going to touch the mountain lest we die. And so they just kind of send him out as the sacrificial lamb. Go talk to God for us. We don't, we don't want any part of his glory. I, I think the principle that we see is when the glory of God shows up, imperfect people die. When the glory of God shows up, imperfect people die. And so the people of Israel as a nation tremble at the foot of the mountain. And the shepherds in the field, imperfect, lowly shepherds, tremble with great fear. Pick up in verse 10. 
And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. That's got to be like the best words ever, right? Glory of God, I'm about to die. Don't be afraid. Good news, great joy, all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So the good news of great joy is that a Savior has been born um, in the city of David. And the question that we should ask is, well, what kind of Savior is this? Pick up in verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Two things we see here. Swaddling clothes were used for newborns. And so this is a a, a freshly born, a, a newborn baby. Second, he's lying in a manger. Extreme poverty, the humblest of means, to the point that a shepherd goes, man, I'm poor, but at least I wasn't born in a manger poor. My family didn't have money, but at least I was born in a house or I was born somewhere else. And Jesus, God in flesh, the Savior, becomes a baby, becomes born in a manger. Verse 13, and suddenly there was, an, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God. So stop right there. First, a single angel is sufficient for the message of God. But it takes a host of angels, literally an army of angels, to respond to the glory of God, to respond to the message of Christ. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the Savior is a baby, the, the Savior is humble, and the Savior has come to bring peace. He's come to bring peace. And the question that the shepherds should be asking is, how can the glory of Almighty God make peace with me? Doesn't he know what I've said? Doesn't he know what I've thought? Doesn't he know who I am? Everybody else in the town knew who they were. And so they should be asking themselves, as we should be asking ourselves, how can an almighty, holy, perfect God make peace with imperfect man? It brings us to another prophecy of the Messiah's birth. And Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will rise up, raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. The only way that an eternally perfect God can make peace with imperfect man is if the Savior who comes is one who is named righteousness, who is our righteousness on our behalf. Romans 5 one says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this Savior isn't just a cute baby in a manger. He isn't just um, somebody who's going to come and, and give us political freedom. He is literally righteousness on our behalf. This, this Savior is substitutionary righteousness for us. Romans 8 says this, that, and I'm just going to summarize, but Romans 8 really hits on this fact. It says that every action God takes in your life is an act of peace to conform you to the image of his son. And so I think one of the things when, when the angels come to offer peace to mankind, I, I think the big takeaway from that is that 
if you are in Christ, if you are the righteousness of God, God only pours out from the Son. He doesn't hold back a little wrath. He doesn't hold back a little judgment. He, he doesn't throw lightning bolts down when you sin or when you fail or when you mess up just to, just to get you back in line. Right? He is only about your peace, and he is solely executing peace on your behalf in the good things and in the hard things, in pain and in joy and suffering in triumph, in worship, and in tears, God is executing peace on your behalf. The Savior is born to make you totally at peace with God. But you say, Mike, I don't feel at peace right now. The country's divided. We're red, we're blue. There's, there's sickness, there's death all around us. There's my family struggling spiritually, emotionally, mentally. I don't feel at peace. I, I feel like I'm at war with the world. And I want, to, I want to point you to one more verse of peace. Jesus in John 16 says this. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So the peace that the Savior offers is an overcome the world type of peace. It's, it's greater than our present circumstances. That's what kind of Savior has come. That's what kind of Savior is announced. And then the second question is, why the shepherds? Like, why would God choose to send this, this army of angels to the lowly, despised, ceremonially unclean shepherds? First, I think it's logical, is that uh, he came to the shepherds to shame religious leaders. Right? So, 1 Corinthians 1, 27 says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. So why does God come to the shepherds? Because they're already humbled. They already know their position in the world. They know their status. They know they're deserving of death. And so he comes with one of the greatest messages of all time. But secondly, it's not just to prove a point. Look again with me at, at verse 11. In the announcement to the shepherds, he says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Unto, unto you, shepherds, unto you. So why does God come to the shepherds with this message? It's because he loves the shepherds. Like, he absolutely loves the shepherds. And so I want to ask you, when you hear the fact that God became incarnate flesh for you, not for the person next to you, not for the political leaders, not for the nations, when, when God became flesh for you, what does that do in your soul? What does that do in your heart? Do, do you feel indifference? I've heard this a thousand times. It's the Christmas story again. Or do you feel undescribable joy that God would choose the humble, that God would choose the despised, that God would choose the lowly in the world to shame the wise. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. He says, only the humble believe him and rejoice that God is so free and so marvelous that he does wonders where people despair, that he takes what is little and lowly and makes it marvelous. And it is the wonder of all wonders that God loves the lowly. God is not ashamed of the lowliness of human beings. God marches right in 
He chooses people as his instruments and performs his wonders where one would least expect them. God is near to lowliness. He loves the lost, the neglected, the unseemly, the excluded, the weak, and the broken. Here's the point. How honest you are with yourself about who you are will be the gauge by which you receive indescribable joy at the announcement of peace. If you're high and lofty in your own mind, then peace isn't that necessary. But if you see yourself as lowly, despised, neglected, forgotten, sinful, then the announcement of peace will produce indescribable joy. Application of the first point is you are the shepherd in need of peace. I am the shepherd in need of peace. Do you see yourself as the humble shepherd? Or have you graduated beyond the message of Christmas to something a little more sophisticated? Have you graduated to something a little more theologically deep? Look again to the good news of Christmas. Look again to the good news of Christmas. Point number two. So the birth of Christ is good news for all people, inviting us to experience and share his presence. The birth of Christ is good news for all people, inviting us to experience and share his presence. Um, so about every six to eight weeks, I eat a steak with Blair Gerard and Matt Weiss. It was like this weird quarantine thing that we did because we kind of live near each other. Um, and we just kind of carried it on because steak's really good. And we really like to uh, grill and eat it together. Now, two things are always going to happen. First, I'm going to show up kind of expecting like a paper plate and maybe utensils. Like, I'm fine if we don't have utensils. But if we had utensils, that would be great. And something's going to happen. Blair's going to put on this amazing spread. Like, we're going to have sides and, like, rolls and sweet tea. Like, it's going to be amazing. That's the first thing. The second thing that's always going to happen is when we get done, we make our plates, we sit down and pray. Matt Wise is going to take out his phone, take a picture of his plate. He's going to text it to somebody or post it on Instagram, post it on social media for the whole world to see this amazing steak that he gets to eat, and they don't. So here's the thing with joy, right? I think Matt enjoys the steak a little more than I do. Because the fullness of joy is not experienced until we share it with somebody else who doesn't have it. The fullness of joy is not experienced. And you know this, right? Like your football team wins a big game, and the the next day you want to see a person who likes the rival team so you can kind of like rub it in their face a little bit, right? The, The fullness of joy is not experienced until we share it with somebody else. And that's exactly what we see the shepherds doing. Look at with me at verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened. Real quick, this thing that has happened. Not, let's go see if something happened. Let's go see if this is true. They had unwavering trust in the word of the angels and the word of God. Let's go see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. When they saw it, they made known the saying. That word made known is is literally they spread the word of what had happened. And so let's just put ourselves into the setting, put ourselves into the picture. When... When did the angels come into the field to see the shepherds at night? Then it says they went with haste, they see the baby in the manger, and immediately they go out and share what they've just seen. 
this is the worst evangelism strategy ever, by the way. So it's, it's me going, hey, um, hey, Sunday school class, let's, uh, let's meet up at the church, and then we're going to go uh, just knock on doors and, and try to get in a, a gospel conversation with some people. Okay, cool. That, that sounds good. What time do you want to meet us? 1 a.m. Like, let's get up there at the church. Let's go. Let's wake everybody up. It's a good way to get shot in South Georgia, just by the way. But isn't that what evangelism really is? It's finding people who are asleep to the good news of peace that Christ offers. And it's waking them up with the truths of the gospel. It's shaking them awake so that they would see what you've experienced. That they would see that the peace of God comes in the form of a baby. That they would see that there is life to be had in a relationship with Christ. So let me ask this. Why don't we evangelize that way? And I ask ask people this question all the time. I'm constantly asking, like, do you share your faith? Why don't you share your faith? And here's the two main answers that I've heard why people don't share their faith. One, I don't know how, which is legitimate. And two, I don't really have any lost friends. Like, all my friends are Christians. All my friends are in the church. And I say the shepherds break both of these barriers. They just absolutely shatter them. Like, what do the shepherds really know about the doctrine of the Incarnation? What do the shepherds really know about the doctrine of justification by faith? All they know is what the shepherds have told them. And immediately, without hesitation, they go without knowing what to people not knowing who, and they pour out their heart of this experience that they had with the Savior. So here's the difference in their evangelism and ours. They had experienced something so incredibly magnificent and so intimately personal that they could not help but share that joy with people around them. They experienced something so incredibly magnificent and so intimately personal that they couldn't help but share that joy with people around them. When was the last time you experienced God this way? When was the last time you experienced Christmas this way? That I am so overwhelmed with the reality that God became flesh that I'm I'm just going to tell whoever's around me, Christians, the lost, everyone. Piper says this, as only Piper can, he says, One of the basic premises of Christian hedonism is that the joy which is our Christian duty to pursue does not reach its climax in private communion with God. Rather, it reaches its fullest extent only when it is compounded by the joy of seeing others share in it with us. The joy that is meant to be found in Christ is not found in isolation and is not found in individual application. The joy experienced with Christ Christ is compounded when we share. It's compounded when we go to the lost. It's compounded when we make disciples. And just like Matt with the steak, he takes a picture, he shows it to you. Two months later, you start tasting the steak in your mouth again. You start tasting the sweetness of the meal. And every time you share, every time you proclaim the word, every time you preach the gospel to somebody else, you're tasting it again afresh for yourself. The angel's message bids the shepherds to come and see the very incarnation of God. And that experience compelled them to go and tell anybody that they could. Chris said this last week. He said, genuine worship fuels missions. And the absence of missions comes from our absence of worship. The absence of missional living in your life comes from your absence of personal and corporate worship. 
So this Christmas, I, I just beg you, like, come and see. Come and see the glories of God. Come and see the incarnate Christ. Come and see what God had to do to move heaven and earth to sit, make peace with you. And then go and tell. Go and tell the people in your Sunday school class. Go and tell your next door neighbor. Go and tell the people that you work with. Experience Christ and go and share that experience with others. Here's the application question. Is your experience of peace with God moving you in joy to share with others? Is your experience of peace with God moving you in joy to share with others? This Christmas, come and see how God moved heaven and earth to become flesh, to die on our behalf. And go and tell the lost world how Jesus makes peace between a holy God and sinful man. That's the call of Christmas. That's the call of the shepherds. Point number three, the birth of Christ is good news for all people, enlisting a response to his glory. The birth of Christ is good news for all people, enlisting a response to his glory. So, so what's the response in the story? We hear that, right? Like the, the shepherds saw the angels. They're overwhelmed by the army, the host of angels. And of course, like if we got that experience, we would go and share it too, right? Well, look at the response of everyone that they came in contact with. I'll start in verse 17. To the shepherds, when they saw it, they made known the saying, down to verse 18. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So the first thing that we see is the crowds, the people that the the shepherds wake up to the good news of peace. They marvel. They wonder at what's being told to them. That that word is, is it creates awe in them. It creates marvel. It it creates wonder in them. And it implies that they're going to go seek out answers to their questions. It implies that they're going to follow up. It implies action. It implies seeking for understanding. So that's the crowd. Second, but Mary treasured all these things. She treasured up. She stored up. She saved for later. She, she put them in the filing cabinet to, to return to you again and again and again, pondering them in her heart, contemplating what's going on in her presence, meditating on what's going on and what she's experiencing. And then third, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard. Now that glorifying and praising, the the word is a present active participle, which simply means that what they're doing in the present is carrying over from what they were doing in the previous scene. So they are glorifying and praising, and they were glorifying and praising. Well, what were they doing in the very last scene, the very last thing that they were doing is they were going, and when they saw the glory of God, when they saw Jesus in the manger, they were making him known. And so what Luke is doing, he's very intentionally grinding into our minds that evangelism is not a result of worship. Evangelism is the consummation of worship. It is the final step of worship. We have not worshiped God fully. We have not experienced him fully until we've shared it, until we have gone and told somebody else about it. So he equates evangelism to worship. 
Now the question is, is what were they in awe of? What were the shepherds in awe of? What were, what were the people in awe of? I think there's three things. Were they in awe of the, the message of peace? I could see you being in awe of that. that. That's pretty good news. Or maybe they were in awe of the angels, the, the heavenly host, the army of angels. If angels show up right here, an army of angels, I'm in awe. Like I'm, I'm stopping what I'm doing. I'm going to sit down, and I'm in awe of what's going on. But I don't think it's either of those things. I, I think they are in awe not of the message, not of the angels, but of the baby in the manger. Because John says it this way. He says, in the beginning was the word, Christ. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. God who existed from eternity past took on flesh. Like, I can't even wrap my head around that, right? Like, we don't even know what that means. God, who existed from eternity past, took on flesh and dwelt among us. He became a man so that we might become like God. When was the last time you really thought and pondered the incarnation, that, that Jesus took on flesh, that Jesus is fully God and fully man? The shepherds did it. The, the people in the story did it. And a couple of our church fathers did it. Here's what one of them says, uh, St. Augustine, one of my heroes of the faith in contemplating the incarnation says this. Man's maker was made man that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, that truth might be accused of false witness, the teacher might be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, that life might die. To which I would add that we might live. God became flesh and dwelt among us so that we could have peace with God. That is an unbelievable message. And it's not a cute message either, right? Like, I, I know... Even listening to the songs this morning, my heart just wants to go to, oh, I saw the manger scenes in my neighborhood, and that's really cute, and it's really cool that, and really cute that Jesus, like, became a baby, and it's not a cute message. It is a life-altering, eternally necessary message, because without the incarnation of Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We have no hope outside of God becoming flesh. We could not obey. We could not make ourselves right. And so God left his throne in heaven to be born as a baby to do it on our behalf. It's the humblest of acts by the most glorious of beings. Look at how Paul puts it in Philippians 2. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because he was born in the manger, therefore, because he lived the life that we couldn't live, therefore, because he became obedient to the point of death on a cross, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. 
so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Who do we think we are? Man created in the image of almighty God, yet refusing to bend our knee to him in worship. Who do we think we are? Man created in the image of an eternally good and just God, yet refusing the peace that he offers us in Christ. Who do we think we are? When God moved heaven and earth to become a man, and Jesus was obedient to the point of being born in a stable. When Jesus was obedient to becoming uh, death, to taking death on the cross, that we should have peace with God. That message is glorious. So the question is, how do we respond to that glory? We've got a couple practical implications. First, humbly identify yourself as one in need of peace. Humbly identify yourself as one in need of peace. Do you see yourself as the shepherd in this story? Or are you one of the sophisticated elites still asleep in your bed? People who need much, who they love much. People who are forgiven much, they worship much. Who do you see yourself in this story? Do you see yourself as the shepherd or do you see yourself as somebody else? Implication number two, come and see, go and tell. Come and see, go and tell. Is your experience of peace moving you to share with others? And if not, do you need a fresh experience with Jesus? This Christmas season, do you need to block out all the noise, to block out all the good things that that we do? And do you need a fresh experience with Jesus? Or do you need to be obedient to the call he's already put on your heart and the word he's already given you to go tell with your neighbor? Do you need more Jesus or do you have plenty of Jesus? You just need to go. You just need to go find somebody who doesn't have this message. You need to find somebody who doesn't have peace with God and you need to bring that message to them. Third, repent and believe the good news of Christmas. Repent and believe the good news of Christmas. I would do an injustice to your soul. If you left here thinking, man, I just got to be more like the shepherds. If you left here thinking, man, I just need more intimacy with God in my life. Or you left here thinking, like, I just need to go find somebody and and go share this message with them. I would say that our past attempts to be like the shepherds, our past failures to be like the shepherds, not only condemn us, but it proves that we can't just fix ourselves. And so I'd say this, that this story is not about you becoming like the shepherds in the field. It's about you relying on the Savior in the manger. Because here's the thing. We haven't sought intimacy with God. Morning after morning after morning, we're invited into God's Word, and we hit the snooze button time and again. We have not been the evangelist that God has called us to be. He, He puts this burden on our heart to share with the lost, and we don't because we don't know how to share the gospel with people. Or he draws our spirit to a particular friend or neighbor or coworker, and we suppress that feeling so that we can avoid an awkward conversation. No, we can't be the shepherds in this story. We failed time and time again, but the baby in the manger was perfectly intimate with God on our behalf, and he forsook his intimacy with God to go to the cross and say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
He, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. He is the perfect evangelist. The baby in the manger is the perfect evangelist on our behalf who not only raised dead people to life, but he is the resurrection and the life that sets mankind free. I don't want you to live here trying to be better. I want you to leave here with a a greater picture of Christmas. And and that you would see the baby in the manger, God incarnate as somebody who isn't this cute baby in, in a nativity scene. But the very holy, perfect God from eternity past moved heaven and earth to come down to make peace with you. Here's one more point in the story. Why would God, if there's a prophecy that that the Messiah has to be born in Bethlehem, why does God choose a Jewish girl in Nazareth? Did you catch that at the beginning of the story? Why does God, if the Savior has to be born in Bethlehem, why does he choose a, a Jewish girl in Nazareth? He does that so that he can show that he works through a sinful man who was the leader of the world, Caesar Augustus. He worked in his heart to move heaven and earth to disrupt the entire population under Roman control so that he could put his woman, so that he could put his Savior in Bethlehem at the perfect time for his birth. That's the kind of peace that God offers us today. It isn't trivial. It isn't unnecessary. It's not over the top. It is completely necessary, and it's completely personal. So how will you respond to the good news of Christmas? Will you try harder to share your faith? Will you try harder to slow down this Christmas and really enjoy time with family? I hope so. Like, those are good things. But more than that, I want you to stop and wonder at the miracle of God becoming incarnate to make peace with sinful man. Rely on him. Repent and believe the gospel. Let me pray. Father, you're good. Lord, this isn't a message for one season a year. God, the fact that you took on flesh and dwelt among us is absolutely astounding. But Lord, I know that there's lots of shiny lights all around us. God, there's lots of things vying for our attention and bidding us to come and and just enjoy the season and spend good time with family. Those are good things, Lord. But if we miss the fact that you are God incarnate, that you moved heaven and earth to be born the humble baby to save humble, lowly, sinful shepherds as us. God, your love is astounding. I pray that the gospel would transform us and the good news of you becoming flesh would permeate our Christmas season and that we would not rush past it, being dulled to it because we've heard it a thousand times. Make it fresh for us. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. How will you respond to that glory? Maybe you're in here this morning, and you need to make peace with God for the first time. You say, Mike, I'm, I'm the shepherd in the field, and, and, and I know that I'm sinful, and I know that I'm broken. 
and this message has just transformed your view of who Christ was, who he is. I pray that you would come and, and talk with us. We'd love to sit down. I'll clear my schedule. We'll, we'll read God's word together. And maybe you're somebody in here that you are a Christian, but you've neglected the invitation to come and see the glory of Christ. You've hit snooze time and time and time again, and your walk with the Lord is cold, and it's distant, and it feels dark. Come, and let's pray together. Or maybe you're somebody in here, and you've never shared your faith with somebody. Or maybe it's been a really, really long time. And you just need to come down here, and you need to repent of that sin, and you need to ask God to empower you with the message of Christmas, the message of the gospel, so that you can go to your coworker, to your neighbor, to your lost child. Whatever you need to do with God, this is a time of invitation. Come, you can pray up here, I'll pray with you, I'll pray for you, or do that in your seat, but don't leave here without responding to the glory of God in the face of Christ. Let's stand. So, Father, we come humbly knowing that we're not enough. Lord, we have not sought you intimately as you've called. We have not spread the good news of Christmas the way you have commanded. God, help us to repent and believe. 
Lord, thank you for the baby in the manger. Thank you for the reality that you took on flesh and dwelt among us to live the life we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserve to die, to forgive our lack of intimacy, to forgive our lack of evangelism. God, would you make us light to the nations? Would you make us light to our neighbors? Pray in Christ's name. Amen.